You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. I got distracted thinking about uh, Archer and praying for him last Sunday night when I was in North Carolina. I've got to give his verse. Caleb and Dallas, y'all back in here. Let me, let me give you his verse. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4. Now listen, James is the... It's the Greek version of the Hebrew Jacob, to grasp, to grasp, to follow, because he followed, Jacob followed his brother. Now, listen to the verse. This is a great verse, by the way. I think, you know, they used to teach extemporaneous preaching, where you just had to get up and open the Bible and just preach. Maybe I ought to do that with this verse. Here you go. Here's a verse. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments, listen to His voice, Serve him. Now, this is what's really good about his name. Cling to him. Grab a hold of him. Great, great verse for that little boy. Now, take your Bibles. Go with me to Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. He came home one night, after all night of partying, and he walked into the house, and he sat down at the piano, and he thought somehow he had to get some inspiration. He was trying to complete an album, and uh, he needed one more song, and he sat there for an hour, and an hour turned into two hours, and two hours turned into five hours, and at that point, John Lennon got up, and he went into the bedroom, and he just fell in the bed, and as soon as he fell in the bed, Paul McCartney says the words came to him, and in fact, he said the words came to him, and John Lennon wrote this song about himself and where he was, and McCartney said, I became very, very concerned about where John Lennon was. And the song was this. He's a real nowhere man, living in a nowhere land, making nowhere plans for nobody. Now, if that could describe anybody, I think it would really describe Moses. Here's Moses. He's a real nowhere man. And he's living in a nowhere land. And over 40 years of just living in a nowhere land, he must have made all kind of nowhere plans for Mr. Nobody. Now that really gives you an insight, I think, not just into John Lennon, but I think it gives you a real insight into Moses. These 40 years out there on the back of the wilderness, and he suddenly sees something that is not that strange but uh, it keeps burning, this bush that is burning. He must have looked at it, thought, well, I've seen that before. Things out here in this hot desert, you know, they catch fire. And, um, you know, that's not that unusual. But he went off with his sheep, and he must have turned back around in a little bit, and he saw the things burning just still just as bright as it was, burning just as his, and none of it seemed to be turning into ash. None of it seemed to be falling apart. And he thought to himself, well, that little bush should have burned up by now and the fire should have gone out. Why does it keep burning? Why is it not consumed? So he goes over to the bush and there, out of that blaze, as Scripture tells us, out of the blaze, which happens to be the angel of the Lord, a voice comes and it makes an identification. He identifies who Moses is. Now listen, Moses walks over. Can you imagine this? Walking over, looking at something burn, 
You see it burnt. It's not being burnt. You go over with a great curiosity, and all of a sudden, out of that blaze comes your name. Your name is spoke Moses. Moses, twice. So Moses knew that whatever it was and whoever it was, it had to be something or somebody that knew him. And then comes this word of warning. Don't you come any closer. That's as far as you come. You stay where you are. Don't come any closer to me. Now, the harm's not going to come to me. The harm's going to come to you. So you stay put. And then a word of reality comes. And the word of reality is this. You take those sandals off your feet. Get your shoes off, Moses, because you're standing on holy ground. Wherever the presence of God is, it all of a sudden becomes holy ground. And that's where God waited 40 years to get Moses. He'd waited now these 40 years for Moses to come to the place where Moses would come and stand on holy ground. And by the way, you know, sometimes we wonder what in the world can a book like this, an ancient book like this, what in the world does it have to say to us? And is it important for me to listen to all of this? Well, let me tell you something. The very place God's trying to get every single one of you is on holy ground. Where he's trying to get us collectively as a church is to holy ground. And you say, why is that so important? Because only on holy ground do you hear the voice of God. You don't hear it out of the culture. You don't hear it out of the neighborhoods. You don't hear it out of uh, the economy. You don't hear it across the television. It only comes when you get yourself on the holy ground. It's there that you hear the call of God. You can't hear God call you until you get yourself on some holy ground. You'll never get God's direction for your life. That's, a, that's exactly. Moses' life is about to change completely. His entire direction in life, his whole purpose in life, everything at eight, listen, at 80 years of age, at the time when everybody else is hanging it up, Moses is just getting started. And so he's on holy ground. He's about to get a new direction for his life. He's going to have an experience unlike any experience he's ever had. God's not only going to give him direction. Listen, listen to this. When you get on holy ground, God will give you a mission assignment. That's why probably we are really not too excited about getting on holy ground. Because God's going to call us and assign us some mission. Now, when you come to verse 10, you're going to see the call of Moses. Now, Moses wasn't what he should be. Moses wasn't where he should be. He wasn't where he needed to be. And yet, in the midst of all that, he gets to holy ground. He hears the voice of God. He hears the call of God. In fact, God tells him two things. God tells him, number one, if you look at verse 7, I'll get back to verse 10. He, when you get to verse 7, he says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people. I've given uh, heed to their cry. I've heard them. I'm listening to them. I'm aware of their sufferings. Those three things right there. I see them. I hear them. And I am very much aware of how deep their struggle is. What's going on with them? Now, the second thing that he says to him is this, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, I've come down to deliver them up out of the power of the Egyptians and to take them into a land that's beyond anything they can even possibly imagine. And then look at what he does in verse 10. Moses, now you go do it. <laughs> 
If I was Moses, now listen, when I read this, the first thing I think of is this. Well, hey, wait a minute, God. You said you came to deliver them. And now you wanting me to go? I, I thought you said that you were, you were the one who came down. You saw them. You heard them. And uh, you know what, what, what they're going through. And that you came down to deliver them and take them out of this land and to put them in a new land. Therefore, verse 10, come now, and I'm going to send you. I'm going to use you. God uses us to carry out his will. He doesn't have to. He could use angels. He could use anything in the world that he wanted to, but he doesn't do that. He uses us. He says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I'm going to tell you what Moses thought. I've already been there, done that, got the T-shirt, tried it, and failed. It was horrible. It was bad. If you remember back, and I can't go there because I need to move you quickly through this, but in Acts chapter 7, if you remember, it was Stephen who said that Moses thought that God would deliver them through him. And so he, he thinks to himself, well, God, I've already tried that, and it was disastrous, and I thought you were in that. I thought this is what you wanted me to do, and it obviously was not what you wanted me to do, and I, I just bungled it, and I made a mess out of it. Listen, let me tell you, you go back to when he did that, there was this overweening self-confidence in Moses. Nothing like losing everything you got and spending the next 40 years in the wilderness watching sheep, taking care of sheep, to bring you to, to listen, to destroy that overweening self-confidence in you and bring you to the place of this overwhelming self-consciousness, I am a failure. I have, I have messed this up so bad. I have blown this. I have acted so poorly. I have, it is just disastrous. Now, listen, let me tell you something. We generally teeter between the two. Ain't nobody going to amen me this morning. Amen. You're right. You're right. Amen. We do. We've either at some points in our life have got this overweening self-confidence. Oh, listen, God, I can do it. Just give me anything you want me to do and I can handle it. Like Moses, I can handle this. I'll do it. I'll do it in my strength. I'll do it in my ability. Listen, nobody knows how spiritually mature I am. I can handle this stuff over here. Well, listen, there's usually a day when you wake up and realize um, that you're not as spiritually mature as you think you are. And you, you, through some failures, come to the point to where you have this overwhelming self-consciousness that I am just a miserable wreck. That's where Moses was. When he gets on holy ground, now listen to me, whether it is overweening self-confidence or overwhelming self-consciousness, when you get on holy ground, you get a God consciousness that takes care of both of those things. Now, that's where Moses was. That's where God wants to get us. He wants to get some of us from being so puffed up spiritually and some of us from being so down in the dump spiritually. He wants to get our focus off of our... Both, do you not realize both of those does nothing but focus on self? And what God wants us to do is to focus on Him so he wants to get us on holy ground so that we can have a God consciousness and focus on him. Amen. 
Now, there are two questions Moses is going to ask here that I'm going to show you, and I'll do this quickly. Two questions that he's going to ask. And he asks these questions when he comes to this place where there is this God consciousness. He forgets about him. He begins to focus on God. God's speaking to me. Now, on holy ground, I can see myself for who I am. It's on holy ground that I will see myself for who I am. And that's what he's going to ask right here. Watch this. Now, we've looked at verse 10. Look at verse 11, chapter 3. And I'm going to move from chapter 3 to chapter 4 and back. So just keep your Bibles open right there. But Moses said to God, who am I? Just who am I? At 80 years of age, Moses is still confused about who he is. Am I Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? Am I part of these people that, uh, that uh, are, are known as the people of God, but they're slaves now down here in Egypt? Or am I part of the ruling class of the Egyptians? I don't know. I'm confused. And I've been 40 years out here on the backside of this desert, and I've just come to the place that all I can confess is this. I'm a real nowhere man living in a nowhere land, making up all these nowhere plans for Mr. Nobody, myself. You ever felt like that? Lord knows I have. And so God comes to him now. When he says, who am I? Now, listen, he didn't ask the inverse of that. He didn't say, do you know who I am? That's an arrogant question there. Do you know who I am? No, he comes now with humility, and he says to God, who am I? I don't even know who I am. I'm not sure who I am. I don't have any clue as to what my, my purpose is in life, why I am here, what I'm supposed to do. And do you know what God's going to do in his goodness? God is going to show him two things about who he is. Now go to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, you're going to see these two things. By the way, I don't want you to, to mistake this. God's going to perform two miracles here. And in these two miracles, we tend to think God is showing Moses his power. Well, he's already done that in the burning bush, really. Um, is this God's power? Sure, it's God's power. I don't think that's the primary thing that God is trying to show Moses. I really think what God is trying to show Moses right here is who Moses is. Moses asked the question, who am I? And then Moses comes now, chapter 4, verse 1. Watch this. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say the Lord has not appeared to you. You're, this is all in your head. This is all your You Christians down there, y'all just dream this stuff up. What if they say something like that to me? And God's going to come, and he's going to do two things here. Now, watch it what he does. Number one, he asked Moses a question. The Lord said to him, chapter 4, verse 2, what's in your hand? Hey, Moses, what is that you're gripping in your hand? What is that you're holding on to? What is that you're clinging to? What is that you, that you've grasped, that you've gotten a hold of? What is that that you're holding so tightly to in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. Now, let me tell you, that staff was a symbol of his portfolio. 
It was a symbol of his life. It was a symbol of everything that he had at that point in time. It was a symbol of all that he had left. He had everything when he was a prince of Egypt, and then he blew it, and now he's holding on to the one little bit that he's got left. Listen, it's not just billionaires and millionaires that grasp uh, things with their hands. Very poor people can grasp things. I've got this, this little bit right here, and I'm not going to give it up. Nobody's going to take this out of my hand. I've lost so much in my life, Moses is saying. I'm not going to lose this. It's the tangible. It's the physical. It's the financial. This is how I earn my living. This is how I make my money. This is how I feed my family. This is how I put a tent over their head. This is how I put some clothes on their back. Moses, what's... What is it in your hand that you're grasping? You want to know who you are? Then tell me, what are you grasping? Oh, it's a degree. Oh, it's a pedigree. Oh, it's a social standing. Oh, it's a house, or it's a car, or it's a position, or it's a profession. That's what I'm grasping in my hand. See, the babies get upset about it. And so what is he going to do with Moses? He's going to tell Moses, throw that thing down. Now, let me show you something. Here's a fascinating idea to me. He tells Moses, throw down. Uh, throw down uh, that staff on the ground. Verse 3, so he threw it on the ground. Do you know what word that is? Look back to chapter 1, verse 22. It's the exact same word. It's translated differently, but it's the exact same Hebrew word. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born of you are to cast into the Nile. There's the word right there, to throw into the Nile. I have, no, I have no doubt that when the Lord used that word with him, he must have thought back to how Pharaoh had given the command to throw down into the river all of these Hebrew male children. Now God uses that word, and he says, you take that staff, you throw it down. Just the way Pharaoh wanted to throw you in the river, you take that staff and you throw it down. And so he throws it down on the ground, and what happens? It becomes a serpent. Now I'm just going to speculate with you for a moment here, if you could. I want you to look at this. He throws that thing down on the ground, and it becomes a serpent. Let me show you something. That is the facial, well, it's really the sarcophagi. It goes into another sarcophagi, which goes into another sarcophagi, but that's the sarcophagi that they buried Tutankhamun in. I saw it when I was in the, in the, uh, in the museum in Cairo, Egypt, and as beautiful as that thing is here, you ought to see that, that thing in person. It's unreal. That's gold. That's gold and all this precious stone that they've got. But do you see that crown up there on his head? Hey, by the way, if you look up the timeline of Moses and you look up the timeline of Tutankhamun, Moses would have known this guy. They lived approximately at the same time. Now look at the crown that's on his head. That's the crown. That was the crown that Tutankhamun or the pharaohs of Egypt would wear. Do you see the vulture on this side? That was a god. Do you see the cobra on that side? That was a god. This is what they would worship. This represented power. This represented uh, uh, dominion. This represented wealth. This represented autocracy. This represented that power resided in this man, and these gods saw to it. Now, when he cast that uh, staff onto the ground, 
I just can't. Listen, God could have told him to do a number of things. Moses, go walk across the Nile. Or Moses, you know, pick up a handful of sand and he could have turned it into silver. He could have done anything, but he says, take that staff, throw it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. I wonder if it was not a cobra. Because I wonder if God was not saying something to Moses. Moses could have possibly worn this crown. He could have possibly become Pharaoh. These would have been the symbols of his power. This would have been the symbol of his rule. This would have been the symbol of his wealth and his authority. And I almost wonder if God isn't saying, Moses, you see what you're really holding in your hand is you're holding your past that you can't get beyond. All you're holding on to is what you've lost. All you're holding on to is the authority that you could have had or the power that you could have had or the control that you could have had. That's what that represents. Now Moses, reach down and pick it up because it is nothing to me. And he picks it up and it becomes a staff. And God says, you want to know who you are? Look at what you're grasping in your hand. Look at what you're hungry for. Look at what you're wanting to cling to. Maybe it's something in the past that you're longing to cling to. I don't know what it could possibly be, but it may be something out of your past that you've never been able to get over, and you cling to it, and you hold to it, and God says, you ask the question, who am I? He says, look in your hand. Look in your hand, and you can see. Now he's going to give him a second thing. Here comes a second miracle and sign. He comes in verse 7, and the Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. In other words, take your hand, put it in the cloak that you've got on. Moses, you've got a cloak on. Put your hand in that cloak. Put your hand in there right across your heart. Put it right in there where your heart is. Put it right there. And now take your hand out. And when he did, the whole thing was completely leprous. Every bit of it was completely white. It looked like lap leprosy in the final stages. And at that point, your digits would begin to fall off. Your fingers would begin to fall off. You had no feeling whatsoever. You could walk over to a stove and put your hand on it and cook your stove and, and cook your hand and never feel a single thing. It's always a picture of sin in life. From the Old Testament to the New, from the New Testament to the Old, leprosy always represents sin. And it's as if he said, put your hand in there close to your heart and pull it out. Now look down at what's in your heart. Look and see. There's sin in there, Moses. There's rebellion in there. There's indifference that is in there. There is just all of this self-consciousness in your life about you and your mistakes and your failures and all of this and all you can focus in is on yourself. Now put it back in there. Moses puts it back in and he brings it back out. Now I want you to see this in the text. This is an amazing thing. In fact, I took down the, um, my, Greek, uh, my Hebrew uh, Bible just before I came out to preach and I looked this up to make sure I had this thing right. Look in verse 7 of chapter 4 of Exodus. It says this, put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again and when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was, what does your version say? Restored. You know what that Hebrew word is? The Hebrew word is called shub. 
It's the word we use in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we translate it, repent. Now, that is just fact. Y'all just sit there. That is fascinating. It means to repent. It means to convert. Conversion means I'm walking this way, and I'm converted. I meet Christ. I have an experience with Christ. And I turn around, and now my life is walking this way. I've converted. I've turned around. His hand turned. His hand converted. His hand was repentant. That is, it was clean. It was whole. It was restored. It was revived. God comes and he says, listen, you're old holy ground, and you want to know who you are. You look in your hand, and you look in your heart. But when you give me what's in your hand and you give me what's in your heart, God says, I can do something with it when you come in repentance. I can do something with it when you will convert. I can do something with it when here on holy ground, you give your life to me. Now watch this. Do you know what God's going to do with that staff in that hand? Watch this. Take your Bible. Put your finger right there in chapter 4. Go over to chapter 14 of Exodus, and in chapter 14, you've got all of these Hebrews now who've come out of Egypt, they're at the Red Sea, and now Pharaoh's army is drawing near. And the sons of Israel looked back, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They became frightened, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us out here to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out here in Egypt? Is this not the word which we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone? We love this. We love being beaten. We love eating next to nothing. Just leave us here so we can be somebody's slave. That's what they said to him, baloney. That's a Greek term, but that's appropriate. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up, look, 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 lift up your staff, stretch out your hand. Jiminy Cricket. He says, take that thing that's in your hand and use it for my glory and take your own life and stretch it out for me. God says, give me who you are and give me what you are grasping so greatly. And here on holy ground, I'll not only show you who you are, but I'll show you who you can be. I'm glad I get to act excited. I'd have to get up and run outside and run around the building right now if I didn't. Listen, look at this now. Secondly, he comes to the second question. And you're going to find that back in chapter 3. And you're going to find it now in verse 13. Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. And I'll say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. They're going to say to me, what is his name? What do I say to them? Moses turns around and he says, not only who am I, but now he asks the question, who are you? Who are you? There's some of you young people here this morning, you're still trying to figure that out. Really, who is God? Is this important in my life? 
Is this something I need to be concerned about? Is this something I need to listen to? Let me tell you, with all your heart, you need to listen to it. He says, who are you? And God tells him now when he comes to verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Hayah, Asir, Hayah. Verb of being, relative pronoun or a conjunction, one or the other. Verb of being, I am, verb of being. Asir, relative pronoun, who, I am, who I am. If it's a conjunction, I am, that I am. Umberto Casuto, the great Jewish scholar, in his commentary on Exodus, says that this Hebrew verb of being covers all three, all three stages, I was, I am, I always will be. That's the word right there. I was, I am, I always will be. Our God never changes. He's the God who was, he's the God who is, and I can tell you this, when this old earth and the rest of this universe has been burned up, he will still exist as God. He says, that's who I am, but he really couldn't, he really could not grasp all that God, you cannot grasp all that God is in that, so he's going to show him something, go back to chapter 4. He's going to tell him, here's another miracle I want you to do. Here's another sign for you, Moses. You're going to go back to those Hebrews, and if they won't believe you, and by the way, if you read the rest of chapter 3, you're going to see that Pharaoh won't believe him either. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles. In other words, God says, I'm going to pour judgment out on them. You just watch this. What's the first of those judgments? What's what's it going to be? Turn the Nile to, to blood. Listen to what he says to Moses here. Moses says... If, uh, if, uh, if I go to them and they won't believe me, what do I do? And God says, if they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you take some of the water from the Nile, pour it out on dry ground, and the water which you, uh, you have taken from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. He says, Moses, go down there to those Hebrews, and if they won't listen to you, you show them that first sign, that staff becoming a serpent. If they don't believe that, show them the second sign, your hand becoming leprous and then becoming whole again. He says, but if they don't believe that, he says, you take some of the water of the Nile and you pour it out on the ground. Moses, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. You pour that water out on the ground and you watch it as it becomes blood. Moses, who am I? This is who I am. I'm the God that not only can deliver you, but in this sign you're going to see that I'm the God that can save you. Now, folks, let me tell you, there's a difference between somebody delivering you and saving you. Um, you remember that show years ago? It came out in 1989 called uh, Dr. Sam Beckett. You remember the show? Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. Y'all remember watching that? Okay, two of us in this place uh, do. Sam Beckett was a scientist, a government scientist, working on a time travel machine, and he got into the thing, and it threw him off into the past. 
He never gets back home. I hate to blow that for you, but if you watch the last episode, he never gets back home. Um, but he's off in these various places, and he goes to these places. He pops into a scene where there is, usually there is some big catastrophe about to take place. He has to immediately figure out what's the time frame that I'm in, who am I, because they all see him as somebody other than who he is. And uh, what am I supposed to do? What's the, what's the urgency? What's the catastrophe? What's the crisis about to take place? And in every episode, he has to figure all that out and then how to deliver them out of that situation. And as soon as he delivers them out, he pops off into another period of time. He's always delivering somebody, but he never saves them. I can deliver you from a financial crisis, or I can deliver you from probably being homeless, or I can deliver you from uh, having no job, but listen, I can't save you. Only God can do that. And God comes to Moses and he says, you take that water. If you want to know who I am, you pour it out on the dry ground and there it will become blood. And he says, this is who I am. I am the God that is going to come and one day judgment is going to fall on me so that out of me water and blood will come. And on whomever that falls, they escape the judgment. So that God says this, I will put my son on a cross and I will pour out my judgment on him, on the son of God, so that the sons and daughters of God can escape the judgment to come. And it all will be by the blood. Let's stand. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is a word for you. That God sent his son and his son shed his blood, his life, so that you could escape the judgment that will come on your life at death, which will be eternal and irreversible. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I implore you this morning, come to Jesus now. Come in these days. If you're here struggling like Moses, I don't know who I am. Listen, let me tell you something. God knows who you are because God created you. And the Word of God is so clear that He says, I know you. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not a calamity to give you a future. You can have a future with God. Without Him, you have no future. To give you a future and a hope. I pray this morning that if you've never trusted Him, that right now you would invite Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. Just simply confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Put your faith and your trust in Him. Believe in Him more than you believe in yourself. And in these moments, say with Paul, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ and be willing to walk. In. Don't be so self-conscious that the devil talks you out of stepping out from where you are and walking forward. We're praying for you. We're praying that someone here this morning will do just that. Others of you 
I have no idea what God is saying to you with this. Maybe it's He's wanting to know what's in your hand or what's in your heart. Maybe this morning you're questioning and you're wondering just who is God. Listen, let me tell you something. He'll reveal Himself to you through His Word. He'll tell you who He is. The Holy Spirit of Almighty God will show you you're willing to step forward and say I want to trust Jesus Father in these moments I just pray that you do what only you can do and that is speak to hearts I pray Lord we would put aside our self confidence or our overwhelming self consciousness and that we'd forget about what others think and what others see and what others ask and we'd be concerned only about Jesus that we'd find ourselves on holy ground right now and that our focus is not on us or on others, but on you. Oh, God, speak, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. You come right now as God speaks. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.